By the grace of God, this morning we'll be talking about Christian giving. Christian giving. Say after me, Christian giving. Giving is a sign of maturity. Just look around. You can see that healthy, mature plants provide us or give us flowers and fruits. Healthy, mature farm animals give us something like milk and let's say farm produce. And even amongst us as humans, mature adults, we give very freely to our children. Indeed, you can give to them without counting the costs. Why? Because it's become your nature as you grow. Very often, people ask or wonder, what are the basic biblical principles or guidelines for Christian giving? Today's message seeks to provide biblical answers to that question. But what is giving? Let me give some synonyms that may help us understand what giving is. Offering, donations, or contribution. So giving may refer to the transfer or something, say a gift or service to another. Biblically, there are two main offerings, the tithes and what I will call the general offerings. A tithe is an amount, that's 10%, a tenth of your produce or income. And an offering is anything given beyond that, but not in place of the tithes. Our Papa, Reverend Samuel Excellence, gave a comprehensive teaching on tithes on November 12, 2017. I intentionally posted this teaching on the platform last week, and I suggest that you listen to it again as it is very, very insightful. Let's go to the beginning. We're going to Genesis. Genesis means the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. He created human beings too, Adam and Eve, and he offered them gave to them the responsibility to rule over what he has created. So God gave right from the beginning. He is the source of giving. And in John 3.16, we have the popular saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he gave. So I want to write from here, establish the fact that the source of giving, biblically, 
biblically is God. Everything comes from him. In Genesis also, we are given a picture of how man first gave or attempted to offer to God. This is in the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, 3 to 7. They offered sacrifices. Why should they offer sacrifices to God from whom everything comes? Indeed, no answer was provided except in Hebrews where we were told that Cain offered, no, Abel offered in faith. And so what he gave was acceptable. But I will presume that as in the beginning we were close with God and there was this challenge, the, the fall of man, and we got alienated from God, man was seeking to fill that gap that was God. God's away from his being. This indeed is the source of all religion. In religion, man seeks to find God and worship him. It comes in all types of forms. In the, what I'll call the Judeo-Christian Islamic religion, God seeks man. Since man was created and God is beyond our comprehension, everything we do trying to create other gods is just vanity. Because you can never comprehend and reach God. And when God himself looks for us, we are his creatures, he can locate us. In Christianity in particular, God gave a perfect solution by giving his son, Jesus Christ. He offered himself as a sacrifice for man. And through that brought reconciliation, God gave. Ancient historical records indicate that in the Near East, Mesopotamia, Syria, Palestine, Greece, Egypt, as far as to Carthage, which is a Phoenician city in northern Africa, there were practices of offering a tent of produce to the royal temple, the king slash the priests. And they also gave offerings. So this was something that was happening. How it started, I'm sure it was a means to reach out to God. Abraham, when he was first called at the Ur de Chudie, was in that place where he was called. There were several gods being worshipped and they were making offerings, tithes to the gods. All I want to establish is that the concept of titan, in fact in the Bible, the first time it was mentioned was when Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Genesis 14, 20. And secondly, in Genesis 28, 10 to 22, when Jacob was running away from his brother and going to Laban, the uncle, at a point he slept. When he slept, he saw angels going up and down. He woke up and called the place Bethel. And he made a vow to God that if God 
will protect him and make sure he goes where he's going, clothes him, makes him, keeps him, and provides for his keep. Then he in turn will give a tithe of whatever he gets to God. Whether he kept that or not, we don't know, but we know he prospered. So I will assume that he kept his tithe. I'm saying this to let us note that the tithe predated was there before Moses was. So before Moses was, tithes and offerings were. Now, let's be done. Israel went into Egypt through Joseph. After many years, they became slaves. They even forgot about their God. But God raised a man, Moses. And through mighty works done through Moses, the children of Israel were delivered from slavery from the land of Egypt. When that was done, God made a covenant with the people of Israel. They were not so plenty, so they were a nation through Moses. This actually, I would say, is the third, is the second covenant. God, the first covenant was done by Noah when he survived the the flood, he made a covenant with God and God told him that as long as he lives day and night, so many things. In the Mosaic covenant, God came to some agreements where he would take care and see the good prosperity, the goodness, the prosperity of the people of Israel as long as they did, they obeyed him. And if they disobeyed, he was going to punish them. Indeed, several things were written. The Ten Commandments and the laws. The laws of worship. The laws of ritualistic, say, of, for the rituals to be done by the priests. These laws, which the priests were to use to administer worship to God were in the book are in the book of Leviticus the priests were from the tribe of Levi so they were Levites and Leviticus essentially are the rules and regulations for managing the rituals that keep the covenant that they made with God out of this and of course, in Deuteronomy, these are referenced also. Out of these, we can we see that we have the offerings. There are five offerings. We have the, say, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the purification offering, and the reparation offerings. All these were given sacrificially to God so that man and God will have a good relationship and man and man will also have a good relationship. And of course, there was the tithe. When we say the peace offering, for example, 
Like if I had a challenge with Brother Stefano, we had a fight. And we come together. We'll bring an offering before the priest. We'll offer it. And we'll sit together and eat the offering. And the eating together is the peace offering, signifying that we have come and we are at peace. Of course, when Christ came and died, Christ is our peace. The point I'm trying to make is that all these tithes, offerings that we're talking about existed even at the time of Christ. And when Christ came, he said something in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. He said that, I, do you think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So, when Christ died, he was a fulfillment of what all those sacrificial and offerings and whatever were in the Levitical, Deuteronomic things. He was the fulfillment of it. But he did not come to abolish, abolish them. He came to fulfill them. Our lives now are governed by the written code. No, are not governed by the written code, but by the indwelling Holy Spirit who writes his law in our hearts. Galatians 5, 18, Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. The Holy Spirit is our helper and he enables us to do all these things. What are the things? To submit to God and do the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. What am I trying to say? There was a time in Matthew 23, 23 to 26, when Jesus came and told the scribes and the Pharisees, Who are you, hypocrites? For you pay tithes and mints and cumin, and have neglected the weightier things of the law. Justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus was telling them that the things, the laws that were there, including the tithes, are things that they had to do. But there is something more that they ought to do because they are not doing it. They were just looking at the letter of the agreement, the tithes and the offerings. This sends my mind to Isaiah 58. Which talks about fasting. People will fast, put on sad clothes, look sad, go and stand by the roadside for people to see. But in verse 6 ongoing, Jesus says, Is this not the fact that I have chosen? What God has chosen in Isaiah is that we lose bonds of wickedness, we undo heavy burdens, we let the oppressors go, we break every yoke. We share our bread. We are kind to the poor. 
we clothe the naked. These are the weightier things, even in the time of Isaiah, our attention is being brought to. What is the significance of what I'm trying to say? With the introduction of the Mosaic Covenant and its associated laws, as time passed, the priests became what we call legalistic. So they were looking at the law and not the spirit of the law. Legalism in Christian theology is the act of putting law above gospel by establishing requirements for salvation beyond repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and reducing the broad, inclusive, and general precepts of the Bible to narrow, rigid moral codes. That's from Wikipedia. But in a sense, legalism is strict adherence to law especially to the letter rather than the spirits of the word. This is from Random House. If you remember, one time Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, but not man for the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes were saying his disciples were breaking corn. Like he said, Sabbath was made for man, not for not man for the sabbath jesus was looking at the spirit of the law now i want to put across to us that those of us under the new testament should understand the written code not be legalistic and do the spirit of the word not be fighting about the word it is the spirit of the word that matters to us. Now, the New Testament provides some principles or guidelines for Christian giving. I remember Jesus saying that, in fact, in Acts chapter 20, 35, he says that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why should we give as Christians? Our God is a giving God. Giving is his attribute. And Christians should take great joy in being able to reflect and share the nature of our God. For as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. Christian giving. What is Christian giving? I'll give four key points that I consider Christian giving is. Christian giving is both a spiritual gift and discipline of discipleship to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian giving is both a spiritual gift and a discipline of discipleship to our Lord Jesus Christ. A spiritual gift is a grace gift and it is given by God. To make it very simple, we have the gifts of the Spirit written somewhere where we can see that the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, 
these are gifts that, let me say, are supernatural. You can see that the power of God is being demonstrated there. And we see they are gifts. But Paul make us understand in Romans 12, 6 that prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, and exercising leadership are also gifts of the Spirit. In fact, he even went on to say in verse 8 that those who are gifted to give, who are generous, should give of their abundance. So that even having something to give is a gift of the Spirit. So, when I say that spiritual giving is both a gift, spiritual gifts, and it's also um, a discipline of discipleship. I'll just take Paul as an example. When Paul was healing, so that half of his body, aprons were taken, and they were healing people, it was a spiritual gift, but it's of the supernatural type. When Paul was teaching, Paul was a teacher by nature. It's, let me say, a talent. But he honed, perfected his teaching and directed it in the service of God to grow up disciples. That, I will not say, is that mighty, that thing that you see something happening. But it is a discipline because it's a talent that has been given to him. And he has honed it, perfected it, to use it in the service of God. I hope I'm clear. Indeed, um, when Moses and Co were traveling, Deuteronomy, God picked some people with special talent to help build the tabernacle. These people were people who were talented. They were not people who were doing miracles like Moses was. So the spiritual gift can be those that we will say is miraculous, prophesying, whatever. And then it can also be that thing you have which you have perfected for the exhortation of the congregation. Now, the second thing I want us to note is that scriptural, a Christian giving is management of God's resources or money. Resources, time, talent, whatever. It is written that all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. All things come of thee and of thine own we have given thee. First Chronicles 29, 11 and 14. And in First Corinthians 4 and 7, it says, What have you that you did not receive? So in this respect, spiritual giving from a perspective is our stewardship to God's property where we are using what he has given every resource for his glory, for his praise. The third, Christian giving is ministry with God's resources. 
when I talk of ministry, ministry means service. Services, service means relieving needs, meeting the need of people. For example, in the beginning of Acts, chapter 4, there around, the widows of the Jews and those of the Greeks were having conflict because food was not being shared properly amongst them. So seven deacons were called. In fact, they voted for them. They prayed, balloted for them. And when these people got it, they had to minister, give to ensure there is peace among the fighting widows. Again, Paul would collect money from people in Colos, in Galatia, and said to the poor people in Jerusalem. So, spiritual, a Christian giving is a ministry. It's a service. What God has given to you, we go in and we use that to meet the needs of people. I would actually say that some people think Christianity is static. And therefore, what is written is the only thing. No, Christianity, the church, is a living organism. It has a life of its own and it responds to the needs. So you can see the deacons were raised to meet the questions of the time. Paul also collected money to meet other needs. And so in our time also, as challenges come, we need to go into ourselves, into the spiritual gifts and the talents given us to meet, give an appropriate response to what is happening. Spiritual giving is a ministry. D, spiritual giving is a sacrifice. The Bible exhausts us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is a reasonable act of worship. And further, in Colossians 3, 24 to 23 to 24, it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men, knowing that the Lord will receive, the, you will receive from the Lord the reward of your inheritance. So in sacrificing, in everything that we have to do, we are doing it not for ourselves or for man, but for God because our very body is an offering to God how much more the things we possess. I hope that is very clear. Good. So what is spiritual giving? It is a gift of God, spiritual gift. It is a talent we have to own. It is us being stewards of what has given us it is us ministering the word, being ministers, serving, and it is us offering ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. This is what spiritual giving is. How then should we give? 
Again, we'll look at scripture to give us some guides on how to give spiritually. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men and be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they will be honored by men. Truly, I say, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Lord, number one, the Lord expects and requires us to give. Jesus said in Matthew 6 to when you give, not if you give. So, he expects us to give. It's not an if condition. I hope that is clear. So, as Christians, part of the discipline of being disciples is to learn to give. Not if we give. When we give, we must give. Are you giving? Jesus also wants us to give for the right reasons. He says we should not practice it when we are giving. We should not do it before men. But we should do it for God to see. It is your motive. If the motive is for praise and for people to applaud you, that is not Christian giving. The motive should be to honor God and to serve man. So when you are giving, you must give for the right reasons. You must have a good motive. Are you giving for God's praise or man's? Three, the Lord Jesus wants us to practice benevolence, charitable giving. He said, when you give to the poor, Matthew 6, 2-3. So here, Jesus is specifically telling us to give alms, to help the poor. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 25, 33 to 30, 42, Jesus told some people that, look, I was sick, you didn't visit me. I was hungry, you didn't clothe me. And they asked him, ah, Lord, when did we see you begging for food and clothes that we did not attend to you? What did he tell them? He said, as long as you did not do it to those around you, you did not do it unto me. I hope that is very clear. So, how do we give? We must give to the needy. And needs come in different forms. As a matter of fact, I've heard some people question. They came to ask questions from me. And they said, "Ah, I can give to anybody or to any institution the way I want. Why should I bring offerings so that the church may 
misuse it. And as I thought about it, what came to my mind was Hebrews 10, 24-25. He said we should assemble together. So, if you assemble together, what has that got to giving as a group? There is something we call laser. Laser is an acronym for light amplification by stimulated emission of rays. That is laser. Light is focused at a place. And because it's focused, it can even cut stainless steel. So when we bring our collections to one point, say the church, and it is directed and managed in an appropriate manner, like that light, simple light that can cut through the laser, that can cut through a beam, this collective giving and harnessed managed, uh, management of that resource can do better good than we just giving it individually. I hope that is clear. Four, the Lord Jesus reminds us that our giving is ultimately being seen by God and he will reward us. So how do we give? We've gone through that. But all that I've said is what Jesus told us. Listen, listen to Apostle Paul also. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. Here, what I see Paul saying is like anytime we come together like we have congregated now as part of our service, as part of our worship, we must make collections. And we know very well that Paul, in this particular context, was collecting money to be sent to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Here, I want to stress that it is the collection for the saints. This is given by the church to the church and for the church. But we don't look only to ourselves. When we do gather money, for example, Jesus said, when you saw the poor man, you didn't treat him. So we go beyond ourselves into the outside world and help those who need help. That is also evangelism, letting them know the love of God, the gospel. Now the Bible also says through Paul, he says again in what we said that we should give proportionately for if the readiness is present, 
it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Second Corinthians 8 and 12. Put another way. He's saying each of you should put aside and save as much as he prospers. So if you've been blessed materially, it means you have to proportionately save more and give. The other thing also is that he's saying he's saying that you should put aside as you prosper. And his intent is not that you should go and borrow to give. You give according to your means. So when you have, you give. I hope it is clear. You give according to what you have prospered, but not beyond your means. In this note also, he exhorts all of us to as much as possible to work with our hands so that we can also contribute to giving. Are you giving in proportion to the material blessing God has given you? Again, the Bible teaches that the more you give, the more God gives you. Both Peter and Paul emphasize this. In 2 Corinthians 9.6, Paul says, Now he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And Jesus reminds us in Luke 6, 38 that give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over will be put into your bosom. For what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, with what measure you give, it is given to you. Proverbs says somebody gives and is always rich. Another hurts and is always poor. Christian giving is to give freely, proportionately, generously. And of course, um, as Christians, the Bible teaches that we must be willing to give freely. That is true. It's a point I'm reiterating. Indeed, in the Old Testament, in the book of um, Exodus 36, 2 Chronicles 35, and Ezra 1 to 4, people freely came to give for a particular project. The building of the, ch- of the church, when they were putting the walls together. So times come when we must harness to meet particular needs. The Bible also teaches that we ought to give cheerfully. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. This truly is an amazing assertion. Because to give purposely, to give cheerfully, will mean that you are under no obligation. You are giving because you are happy to do so. And it doesn't dampen your happiness. When you do so, God blesses you because he loves a cheerful giver. You are giving out of faith. Are we cheerful givers? 
I want to sound a warning. The Levites, priests of Jesus' day, through legalism, made the tithes and offerings a burden. Something that was given to be a blessing became a burden. And in our present day, unfortunately, some of us leaders, priests, leaders of the church, use all types of maneuvers. We coerce, we manipulate people to give. Such people cannot give cheerfully. They give grudgingly. That is not what God wants. And when we continue doing this, rather, we end up driving the people from church by our action. But remember, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So woe to us if we are doing that. And if anybody is doing that, repent. Let me try to summarize um, what we've said so far. What is Christian giving? It is a spiritual gift and a discipline of discipleship to our Lord. It is managing God's resources, our gifts and talents as his stewards. It is a ministry of giving that is service to those who need our gifts and talents. And four, it is an act of worship of God. How do we give? We are exhorted to give secretly. The motive is to please and honor God and not man. That is what it implies. We are exhorted to give generously, purposefully, cheerfully, sacrificially, and proportionately on a regular basis with a thankful heart towards a giving God. Why should we give? We give because we have the nature of Christ who is compassionate and is love. We are his children. And when we request the Holy Spirit to take over us and we submit to him, we get that power to be able to do the weightier things. The spirit of the word, the letters, and not the law or the letters that we read. Christian giving is a mature giving. It is not selfish and it is not legalistic. It is giving that flows from our bellies as streams of living water to bless and to tell the story that God is love and we are his children. We have been blessed with the word of God and I have to ask What spiritual gift or talent has God given you? How are you using it? Indeed, I'll take this opportunity to invite you to join our ministry of giving in Jesus' name. As IPR grows, we took two years. We are now taking the third lap. There are things we would do as a church, as a local church, to meet the needs of the church, 
to meet the needs of those we're going to evangelize to. Developmental projects, that is to raise the standard of living of people wherever we are located. And how can we do this? It is only through Christian living. Sorry, Christian giving. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for your words of teaching and exhortation. Holy Spirit, we surrender our spirit, soul, and body to you. Jesus. Help us in your ministry of giving Amen. as we submit to this ministry. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.